am I going to do? I've watched it so many times and I keep having the same feeling. I think... I think I kind of like Spider-Man 3. But I feel like no one in the world feels the way I do. I just wish I had someone to talk to. What, what, what was that? Is someone there? Remember that part where there's that cool Sandman fight in the subway? So underrated. How about that time Peter dances down the street in his new black suit? So misunderstood! What about when Harry and Peter team up to fight Venom and save Mary Jane? So good. I kinda like Spider-Man 3. I want to talk about it too, Scott. That's why I've been looking for you. Looking? For, for me? Oh yeah. I know all about you. You do? Like what? Like the fact that we've recorded 245 podcasts covering every minute of Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, so if we stop now, it just doesn't seem right to me. Wait, that you, Zach? Look, I want to talk about Spider-Man 3. You want to talk about Spider-Man 3. Together, its bad reputation doesn't stand a chance. Interested? Yeah. But where can people find us? Oh, my spider sense is tingling, if you know what I mean. And it's telling me that they should look for Spider-Man Minute Season 3 on DuelingGenre.com or wherever they get their podcasts this summer. and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joseph tarowski and this week i'm joined by todd peterson to discuss scott free and big barda from the comic book mr miracle welcome todd hi it's great to be back uh, yes returning guests we've had you on several times and also uh this is a series that producer andrew i know has read and very much enjoyed so you're gonna be jumping jumping in some on the conversation right andrew yes yes i will all right well uh i guess a little bit more info about Mr. Miracle, who is not one of the iconic characters that people know about, even if they don't read co uh, comic books the way like Superman or at this point, a lot of characters are because of the MCU. Uh, Mr. Miracle was a character that was originally created by Jack Kirby, who is one of the icons of comic book storytelling. And this character was created in 1971 um, as something that was called the fourth world for DC Comics. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, just know the character is a master. Uh, he's an escape artist. He, and so his name is his real name is Scott Free. Well, sort of his real name. We'll get into that a little, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, but his gimmick is that he's an escape artist. And the fourth world was all populated by gods. Think a little bit like Asgard um, in the Marvel Universe. That there's just this other world where there are gods who have their own issues that are going on. What we're going to be talking about today is a fairly recent 12-issue series that was written by Tom King with art by Mitch Gerrids. Um, even though Jack Kirby is very famous and iconic in creating characters and some of his creations are some of the most well-known superheroes, uh, characters like the Incredible Hulk, the X-Men. Um, these are co-creations they did with Stanley. Uh, the fourth world, he was the writer and artist, and those characters didn't have it broken into the mainstream public consciousness the way some of those other characters have, but they're very well regarded within like comic book fandom, uh, even if it is a little bit niche. And Mr. Miracle, this, this version that we're reading, it tells the story of 
Well, um, <laughs> it tells the story of Scott Free and Big Barda having and raising a baby on Earth while also acting as generals in a genocidal war between their home worlds of Apocalypse and New Genesis. Is that a good synopsis, guys? It's hard, hard to encapsulate it. Yeah. I think that that's that gets you the... Yeah, that's a log line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big story uh, with with a lot that goes on in it. So we uh, we do like to touch on how we came to these works. Todd Peterson, do you remember when you first heard about or how you first came to the Mister Miracle series? I think it was right when we wrapped up doing uh, the episode uh, on the Vision, which is written by Tom King, and uh, I sort of made a pledge to myself: I want to read everything Tom king ever wrote um and because i'm uh, a little bit funny this way uh i knew that mr miracle was out and it was kind of dropping issue by issue and so i i said you know what i'm going to be impatient i'm just going to wait till the trade comes out and so that's how i came to that i kind of watched him uh but in the interim i did something that i hadn't really done before which is i started following tom king and um uh is it mitch gerard's or jared's um on Twitter. And so I was kind of watching uh, them uh, talk professionally about their work, dropping panels of Mr. Miracle as it sort of came out, no spoilers. Uh, and I got really, really interested in what was going on. And I think this will feed back in because um, Mitch Jarrett's was also, you know, raising a little tiny kid at the same time. and was talking about that. And so there's this really interesting crossover to what we're going to be talking about, like people, with their professional lives and people with their home lives and, um, work-life balance and all this other kind of stuff. And um, so as I was waiting for the trade to come out, I just kept reading as much as I could without getting spoilers about what was going on with Mr. Miracle. And, and I kind of knew that this was right in my in my zone um, for kind of strange, quirky superhero comics that aren't really getting stamped out the same way that, that a lot of the other properties are. Yeah, there is uh, definitely some experiences that are written about that I feel like you have to have lived to be able to recreate as an artist in terms of life events and just conversations around things like having a baby that just felt very real to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> these creators, this is, this is not speculation about what this would be like. It just felt so authentic uh, in terms of the way some of the conversations went out or went about. Yeah, so so we I got to this by going. Tom King is really kind of doing some stuff in comics writing um, that really captured my attention. This kind of authenticity, like, turning over a lot of traditional kind of superhero narrative, using the genre um, to do new things with it. And uh, I'm sort of new to Mitch Jarrods as an artist, and I love him. Uh, and I, I hopefully I'll get a a chance to articulate even to myself a little bit about what I like so much about what he's doing. That's so different than a lot of standard uh, comic art that's coming out at the moment. Uh, Andrew, uh, because you're going to be participating more in this one. Do you remember how you came uh, to, to find the Mr. Miracle series? I started buying it just as it was coming out. And so I was reading it issue to issue, which is actually the only time I have read it so far. I need to go back and read it as a single unit because it was spread out across a year, but it was also the year that my first child was born. <laughs> and so I was reading oh, issues of this with, with my infant daughter in my arms, like, like putting her to sleep while reading comics. And I think I might've read the. there's an issue where, where it's 
the the delivery labor and delivery for um mr miracle and big barda's uh son and i think i was reading that just months after having gone through labor and delivery with my wife and so i'm just holding my daughter and reading this section this is this is a little bit real guys yeah it's hitting me kind of close I remember vividly after the birth of my first daughter coming home and reading two issues of comic books in which there were newborn infants in peril and just thinking I'm consuming this so differently than if I had read it one week earlier. Like, like it was the week after my daughter was born and I was reading these and I knew my reaction to this art was forever changed because I had that experience of, you know, having my first child and I could not read that comic book the same way I could have one week before. Yes. And, and so, yeah, a lot of it was, some of the stuff was almost simultaneous with my literal experience. Um, my, my real world experience. Um, I came to this, uh, well, I only actually read it this last week in preparation for this episode, but I knew about it because of a podcast I listened to called I fanboy, which does a weekly, um, pick of the week where they recap the, uh, several comic books that have come out that week and they do a pick of the best one at the top of each episode. And I don't know the exact number, but it felt like Mr. Miracle won eight of the 12 issues that it was <laughs> that it came out. It was their pick of the week where they're like, we know this is redundant, but this is really good guys. We can't help but make it the pick of the week. Uh, I mean, and so this, I knew that this, I mean, we've, we've already talked about Tom King's run on vision and this is one of his quick follow-ups to that. And when Tom King does a 12 issue run, it's sort of like prestige TV. <laughs> oh, exactly. I, I think that is a good description. That's what everyone's going to talk about for a little while, for a year. You know, it's, it's a game of Thrones level of engagement from comic book people. And so it's what all the critics are going to talk about. It is going to overtake, you know, the commentary field for a little while. And I could feel like when Tom King hit with this one, it was like Tom King's doing fourth world. What? <laughs> and like everybody leaned in. Um, and it feels like, again, how sometimes in these uh, prestige areas, when you say, Oh, look at the talent it's attracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was really, really interested in that combination. Cause you know, here's a guy who like, you know, stepped into Batman after Scott Snyder. Um, did this whole amazing uh, Sheriff of Babylon, um, uh, you know, kind of Iraq um, war comic um, with Mitch. Um, but it's like everything this guy touches is gold. So the, I was really intrigued. Why why hit something obscure like this? Yeah, the, the fourth world, I, mean, I guess, jumping into the trivia, it is this side of the DC universe that came about in the 1970s after Jack Kirby left Marvel. Uh, and in one of the ways that DC lured him over was to kind of say, we're going to let you have your own sandbox. Just go do what you want as both writer and, and artist, um, simultaneously. And Jack Kirby, his output, is just, there's so much and it's also good. <laughs> like, like he was the, the, the amount of art that he produced in the, in his heyday as a comic book artist, it is mind boggling. 
because today comic book artists and i know there are differences in eras and we expect more details and backgrounds today and there's all sorts of reasons but uh the biggest names in art will often get maybe 10 issues a year out does that sound about right to you todd yeah sorry Uh, i leaned uh i leaned away and grabbed my huge uh jack kirby king of comics book by mark avenier uh-huh uh, I, I know that one i have it right here actually just because <laughs> i wanted oh, while no, you were talking about that output i wanted desk. to just, I just thumb through it. I was like, i know i have it around isn't that awesome <laughs> it's yeah. right here because of a different project i'm working on right now <laughs> but we're gonna black panther project but because of that i have this jack king uh book right here um but but this is one of the things that captured my attention is like you know i knew jack kirby from the stuff that if you're kind of a dabbler you would know um you know a lot of this sort of great silver age of fantastic four stuff and then i started thumbing through it i went what this guy's range is huge and again just huge and so much was put out too like the amount that he was producing on monthly basis for marvel uh he was doing more than one comic a month which is in in the modern era unheard of well he was doing Uh, he was doing like six yeah uh and he was doing them essentially without scripts at that point too yeah they were doing the yeah that was that model that that uh that Marvel was working on. And I'd just been reading about it, you know, where they would just go for it. Yeah. And it allows, um, a different kind of creativity, sometimes a little too free flowing. <laughs> um, there are definitely some, some continuity hiccups that are, weren't caught, caught by editors because of how free flowing the Marvel method was. Uh, but it's just phenomenal to look at his, his art. And I do remember when I was like first, uh, getting into comics and learning some of the history of comics, I remember seeing Jack Kirby art and feeling unimpressed. Uh, I have since repented of that. <laughs> I, I think it, it's um, a, a little blockier style. And I was coming into comics in the nineties where, when the style had completely changed, but also I think the, uh, the printing process did not do his art favors uh, at the time when I've seen his raw pencils compared to the printed page from the 1960s, his pencils just look so much richer than what was able to be printed uh at that time for both technological and economic reasons uh you know what the what the uh, reproduction ended up looking like didn't do justice uh to to his work and we've said he's he's very well known for the silver age also worth noting he goes all the way back to the golden age and uh you know is a co-creator of of captain america in the golden age so he's had he had a very long career this period in the 70s dc kind of said come back you know come over here and you can do whatever you want and he ended up creating this section called the fourth world, which for him was a deliberate effort he uh, to make kind of a self-contained story that could be reproduced in a single volume. Uh, even though it was going to be printed out in these monthly comics, he, he had this vision of uh, kind of like what for uh, film audiences know now as the MCU, where like you're going to get chapters of this larger story and all these different comics that are getting produced, uh, but then they will read as one giant story. And that would be his fourth world is what it was called. And it's crazy big ideas. Uh, you, you, there are terms like the anti-life equation and you just kind of go with it. You just kind of have to say, all right, I'm strapping in and going with these weird ideas that aren't going to be very grounded in our reality at all, but are so intriguing. You as, as an audience is kind of like, well, I, I'm here. Let, let's see what this is, what, what this is going to be. Um, just, just really broad strokes of creativity. Uh, and, DC let him do that, and then periodically since his fourth world run, these characters have been like brought into uh, the main DC universe a bit more. Sometimes creators, like as fans, say, I really want to go play with those characters again. Particularly the big bad from the fourth world, who I I believe is pronounced Darkseid, 
<laughs> uh, I remember long debates as to whether this <laughs> right. was Dark Seed or Dark Side because it's it's spelled D A R K S E I D. Uh, that has become like the cosmic big bad for the DC universe, and that's probably the biggest breakout character of the fourth world. Um, think like Marvel's Thanos in the MCU. That is Dark Side for the the D- for DC Comics. And I think I remember reading Dark Side first in like some New Teen Titans George Romero run. Uh, stuff. So it's, it's really weird that it seems like the fourth world was this thing over on the side, but maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Maybe it feels to a lot of people like the cosmic Marvel stuff in the MCU, like the guardians of the galaxy, uh, Nova Corps and all that other kind of stuff that like, if you're a comics reader, you weren't picking that stuff up. If you were reading mainstream, you were, you were kind of way out the lines or, um, you know, in Jim Starlin territory, this was that for DC and that amazing chapter in the, in the Kirby uh, hardbound coffee table book talks a lot about some kind of cultural moment crossover with star Wars. That as that emerged, um, people were like, Oh yeah, there's this power called the source and you know, all these other kinds of uh, sort of large scale, good and evil battles. And it may have just been, you know, this was the time, you know, I guess you're right that Kirby get in, got in in 71. So a little ahead of that, but again, it's fascinating because it's this sort of like alt alternate, alternate thing. And I can't explain it. It's too weird. It, it was always too weird for me when I was a kid. Yeah. To me. Okay. Okay. This is a personal story that it feels a little bit like when I sometimes have conversations with my four-year-old, my four-year-old, he has a very creative <laughs> mind and he has these giant big eyes. And there was one day where I was picking him up from preschool and he walked up to me and he looked at me with these giant big eyes and he held out a leaf and he said, this is a map to outer space. Don't lose it. We need it later. Right. And then he, get, he gave me the leaf. <laughs> and it's that kind of like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> like, I don't understand this. It's not grounded in my reality, but I'm in. That's what I feel like for, like, you need that kind of, like, level of, uh, I'm just going to go along for the ride to really engage with the fourth world stuff, in my mind. So this may help us sort of ease into the story, but one of the things that really attracted me about Mr. Miracle, because comics were are, were doing this this kind of high operatic anti-hero thing so so in that that comics transition where they were kind of moving away from being greasy kid stuff to to being i don't know deeper or 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 whatever i thought you were gonna call it greasy adult stuff (laughs) greasy adult stuff (laughs) um there's a certain kind of thing that happened as comics kind of went adult um and what happened in comics comic book movies is this this really kind of uh, you know, I don't know uh, even the right term for it, but it's like super operatic intensity, you know, that I thought this was pretty interesting in the beginning. But then I started really liking more wacky stuff, not necessarily uncomplicated, but where I felt like the narratives were playing and doing what comics could do. Um, and that's what this fourth world stuff is. It's like, no, comics is about whatever. It's not necessarily yeah. about um, verisimilitude or any of those other kinds of stuff. Um, and so anything that, that it, my attention is starting to be captured 
by things that would be like, no, wait, this is comics. So, so a person is supposed to skate around on energy discs. That's how you're supposed to do this. Um, they are yeah. supposed to ride weird uh, vehicles that look like they're shaped, um, you know, a copper tubing. That's what's supposed to be happening. Um, and I see that as an antidote, you know, really. And uh, this is not to throw anybody under the bus, but kind of um, like the Zack Snyder film, which is a certain kind of uh, uh, take on superhero. Mr. Miracle is way different than that. It's so different. Yeah, it's a very different <laughs> tone from the beginning. And I think uh, the audience needs to go in with a different mindset uh, to to be able to really engage with it. Um, just like to briefly explain some of the, like the ideas that exist for the fourth world. There's the planet of apocalypse, which is the bad planet ruled by dark side. And then there's the planet of new Genesis, which is ruled by the high father, which is more heavenly and one's more hellish. Uh, but then uh, the high father and dark side trade sons as I'm not sure a peace offering. <laughs> it, it was uh, supposed to be a peace treaty. Yeah. Was so Ryan, we cannot attack each other's planets because we will each be raising one of each other's yeah. sons. So Orion was Dark Side's son, and he's going to be raised on New Genesis. And Scott Free, or Mr. Miracle, is the High Father's son, and he's going to be raised on Apocalypse. And Scott Free is raised in what is called the Pits by Granny Goodness, who is really evil. And and uh, then there's also these kind of computer <laughs> things called Mother Boxes, which think in this version of Mr. Miracle they get used a lot like our iPhones, which is kind of a catch-all technology. But they can also do transport. They they can do transportation portals. Through boom tubes is what those are called. Yeah. They make a boom sound every time they open, but there are some limitations to the boom tubes. Uh, so th there's just, uh, like you said, kind of grand operatic ideas uh, in this strange superhero-ish, mythology-ish, sci-fi-ish setting, right? Uh, and you, it's it's a lot of fun. I haven't read, gone back and read Jack Kirby's original Fourth World stuff. I know DC put out an omnibus collecting it. And it's one that is on like my to get to list. And I want to point out for this particular series, they're taking all of that fantasy, sci-fi, superhero, you know, space opera stuff. And they're also throwing in a lot of domestic stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> can we remodel our apartment? We need to pick up a vegetable tray for this meeting. <laughs> you know, right. things like that. All right. Well, before we get into the full summary of this, uh, tw these 12 issues, we would like to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers or books or TV shows that we've been watching. We also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more also get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right. Are you guys ready for my attempt at summarizing these 12 issues succinctly? <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. Okay. Uh, issue number one, and I'm just going to make a note here at the top. There is some playfulness or, or some aspects of the comic book form that I can't really recreate in a verbal summary. So, um, for example, there are a lot of nine panel grid pages, which is just there's nine panels, rows of three, 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 three. Uh, and often one or more of those are completely blacked out with just white text that says dark side is period. And I'm not going to list every one of those that happens. Um, just know that sort of thing has happened. Or also throughout the entire series, there are panels that look like 
an old timey tube television that's getting a bad signal where like all all your lines are a little wavy across the center. I'm not going to list those when they happen. Just know that periodically black panels are happening or waviness is happening on certain panels. And it seems like it might be important to something deeper about this story that we probably won't be able to get into. (laughs) Yes, I agree with that summation of some of these ideas. Okay, we open up on Scott Free, who is lying on a bathroom floor, and he has uh, cut his wrists with razor blades. His wife, Big Barda, uh, who I just want to say, she's named Big Barda. She's just tall, and (laughs) she's she's bigger than Scott, and somehow she has the name Big Barda. We just go with it. Uh, Big Barda gets Scott Free to the hospital. Then uh, later on, Orion, who is one of the new gods, arrives in their L.A. condo and he orders Scott to stand. This like Scott has bandages on his wrist and Scott stands up and then Orion decks him. Orion is the son of Darkseid, but was raised by the High Father uh, on the uh, on New Genesis. Scott Free is the son of the High Father, but was raised in the pits on the hellish apocalypse. Uh, Barda interrupts Orion, beating up Scott Free, and then Orion leaves. And we see Scott now dressed in his Mr. Miracle costume, which is a very gaudy superhero costume, like very bright reds and yellows and greens going on. Um, and he is on a late night talk show because on Earth, he is a celebrity escape artist. And when he's on the talk show, he talks about his suicide attempt as just his effort to escape death. Now, Scott's father, the High Father, uh, visits and reveals that a spy in Darkseid's inner circle has told him that Darkseid has found the anti-life equation, which is a big bad thing, though we're not quite sure why. Uh, Later, Scott gets a message from Orion saying that the High Father is dead. And Orion is preparing an army on New Genesis, and they need Scott and Big Barda to come home and be generals in the upcoming war with Apocalypse. So Scott and Big Barda take a boom tube to New Genesis. Issue number two. Scott and Barda are fighting off lots of parademons and then trying to figure out how to wash the blood off of themselves in a shower that they've never used before. This reminded me of every time I'm in a hotel and trying to figure out which way I need to turn, what to get hot water to come out without killing myself. Or do you have to pull things or... Uh, now Orion, who is now carrying the title of the High Father, orders Scott and Barda to go find and kill Granny Goodness, the evil woman who raised them on Apocalypse. They find Granny, and she says that she was the spy leaking information to the High Father, and she reminds Scott Free of the pos- uh, the prophecy that only Darkseid's son can kill him. And Scott says, well, that's Orion. And Granny says, is he really Darkseid's son, or are you, Scott? And just then, Barda kills Granny Goodness. Issue number three. Scott is back on Earth, on leave from the war. One of the new gods, named Forager, visits and says that the troops are more loyal to Scott than to Orion. Light Ray, who is Orion's right-hand man, shows up and kills Forager, and Scott is ordered to go see Orion. And when Scott uh, goes to see Orion, Orion beats him up. For superhero, Mr. Miracle spends a lot of his time getting beat up in these 12 issues. Uh, Issue number four. Scott is recuperating from having been beaten by Orion. And he's back on Earth, and Barda is taking care of him, and she hears a boom tube, and it's Light Ray who has come to tell them that Scott has been declared an agent of Darkseid by Orion. Big Barda is very fed up with all this, and she beats Light Ray up. Light Ray, uh, after he's been beaten, he says they can choose the location of Scott's trial, and Barda says here, like in their condo in L.A. on Earth. So on the appointed day, Scott and Barda grab a veggie tray because they're going to have guests from New Genesis. And then Orion and some of the other new gods come and Orion is going to be judge and jury. Orion grills Scott with lots of yes or no questions that are designed to make him look guilty. The interrogation is interrupted by an Amazon package delivery. (laughs) 
And then Orion finds Scott guilty of his crimes. Scott is ordered to come to New Genesis in three days for his execution. Issue number five, Scott gets his hands um, pressed into a cement on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and a fast-talking manager named Funky Flashman tries to spin Scott's death sentence into a positive thing for their publicity. So we, we could work with a death sentence, guys. We can still uh, keep you popular here on Earth. Scott and Barda enjoy an evening together as consenting husband and wife, and then they visit the grave of a dead new god named Oberon. While they're stuck in L.A. traffic, Scott and Barda debate if they have a song that is, you know, their song. And Barda points out that they met in hell pits and the moans of the damned were all around them. So Scott asks the mother box if it can play the moans of the damned. And it does. And then Scott and Barda smile at each other and laugh together. They such a weird romance right there. They go to a, ro- a restaurant to order Scott's favorite sandwich in all of the worlds. And then they go to a carnival and then they sit on a beach together and they debate Descartes and Kant. I'm serious. That is the end of that issue. It's a long <laughs> debate. Issue number six, Barda and Scott return to do Genesis and they are going to fight slash sneak their way to the throne room by defeating every guard and getting past every trap that exists. Um, the entire issue is them going through these battles and jumping through these traps while having a conversation of Barda saying she wants to remodel the condo and get an extra room. And they're debating whether they have enough space in the kitchen to do this kind of remodel that she's describing. And what are they going to do if they lose a closet with all their stuff? Uh, And then Barda says, we need to do this because I'm pregnant. Uh, And this is right before they get into the throne room. Then they break into the throne room and Orion is already dead. Scott sees Darkseid and asks what he did. And Darkseid just says, Darkseid does not do. Then there's that black panel with the the white text saying Darkseid is. And then Darkseid disappears. Issue number seven. We jump ahead. Because now, uh, in the last issue, we found out Bardo was pregnant. This issue is about the delivery of that baby. Uh, However, Scott cannot figure out the parking situation at the hospital. And I just want to say that struggle is real. Uh, and this episode excellently depicts the indescribable mix of action, inaction, tension, and downtime that is having a baby and sitting in that room, uh, at least in my experience of being the man in the room while my wife was on the bed and like, what is my role right now? Um, I felt Scott's uncertainty um, was was a very accurate depiction of that process. Uh, some of Barda's sisters, who are evil furies, they come to the hospital because they're excited that Barda is having a baby. And it's treated as a, like, this is just a truce. Like, obviously, we're not going to do anything. You're in the hospital. Barda's having yeah. a baby. And These are the- opponents in the war. Yes. Yeah. These, this is the other side of the war uh, that is still being and has been fought for the last nine months or how, you know, the, during the entire time that this issue jumps from the previous issue to this one. The war is still going on. Um, one of Barda's sister, uh, sisters gives Scott a Theron knife because Earth instruments will not be able to break Barda's skin if it is needed during the uh, delivery. And she says, I will use this knife to kill you one day because you're the high father now. But for today, you should have this in case Barda needs it. Uh, the machine registering the baby's heartbeat stops detecting the heartbeat and Scott runs out and the nurse comes in and says, you just need to roll on your side and we're going to reposition this. And they hear the beeping again. And there's lots of relief. Again, that to me speaks to someone who has been in this position, (laughs) um, 
That was just a very true moment to the delivery process. Uh, the baby is born, but he has his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, and the doctors cannot get the umbilical cord off because Varda is a god and has super tough skin and tissue. So Scott uses the ferret knife to cut the umbilical cord, and then the baby breathes in deeply and starts crying. And Scott goes out and he tells the Furies that Barda had her child and he gives them back the Farrah knife and says, thank you. And Fury reminds him that she will use the knife to kill him one day. And then Scott slumps down, rubs his face and just says, okay. Issue number eight. Scott and Barda take turns going to New Genesis to lead armies into battle while one of them stays home on Earth to watch their son, who is named Jacob. Their manager, Funky Flashman, also helps watching Jacob. One day on Apocalypse, Scott is confronted by a soldier named Kanto or Kanto, who says he is supposed to face Barda in a one-on-one battle. Scott calls Barda on the phone and she says, oh, I did schedule that, but right now I'm at the doctor because my breastfeeding's not going well. I've got to sort this out. So Scott says, fine, I'll do the one-on-one fight. And he gets beaten badly. And then while he's laying on a gurney, <laughs> severely injured, Scott calls Barda and says, you know, we need to try let Jacob, letting Jacob sleep in the car seat in the house. He always sleeps in the car. He's not sleeping in the crib. Let's do that. Uh, and then we see Scott spend some more time on Earth. Um, you know, they're just alternating time on Earth and on Apocalypse. One day, uh, Scott is walking through this massive battlefield, uh, battlefield with just bodies everywhere, and he collapses and falls down. Uh, and then he gets a call from Barda, and she's saying, you gotta listen, you gotta hear this. And you hear Jacob, their son, say, da. And she says, every time we show him a picture of you, he says, da. And when Scott hears his son saying, da, he pulls himself up and keeps walking. Back home, Scott is falling asleep on the couch while watching sports when Jacob starts crying. And when he goes in and picks his son up, Jacob says, da, to his face. It's a nice moment. Issue number nine. Scott and Barda are at a bargaining table with the agents of Apocalypse trying to negotiate a peace treaty. It goes badly until at the very end, they say Darkseid is willing to withdraw all of his forces from New Genesis and release all prisoners and completely disarm and even give up the anti-life equation, which is so much more than Scott and Barda ever hoped to get. Uh, but the catch is, he will do this if Scott grants Darkseid custody of his grandchild, Jacob Free. Issue number 10. Back on Earth, Barda is trying to plan for Jacob's first birthday, calling out details to Scott, who is in the shower, as Scott slowly drops down and curls into a fetal position. Uh, Scott tries to talk to Barda about the deal that has been offered, and he says, we need to talk about this, but she very much does not want to. Uh, she punches the wall. Very hard. Uh, at the park, we see uh, them with uh, pushing Jacob in a swing, and Barda finally confronts Scott about his suicide attempt. Way back in issue number one. You may have forgotten about that. Asking if he was trying to escape from her and their marriage. In this loud argument, Scott suggests that, you know, we survived in the pits on Apocalypse, and we're fine. No, they're not fine. Uh, so our kid might be fine, too, if we do give him over. Barda takes Jacob and storms off after Scott suggests this. Uh, then we cut to the aftermath of the birthday party and Scott and Barda are lying on the couch together. Barda's just looking at her phone and Scott says, you know, I'm going to take Jacob to Darkseid and when it's time to give him away, I'm just going to kill Darkseid instead. And without even looking up from her phone, Barda just says, sounds good. I'll come too." Issue number 11. Barda and Scott are off to meet Darkseid. They bring Jacob in a stroller and they grab a veggie tray. <laughs> And for a full nine panels, we see Darkseid eating a carrot stick. And it is one of my favorite pages in comic book history. I just want to say, I don't, I've never gotten my hands on original art. If I could get this original art of Darkseid eating a carrot stick, it would be <laughs> the, the crown jewel of everything I own uh, in terms of collectible things. I doubt I can. I'm sure so many other people who are richer than I are seeking out that nine panel grid. Uh, Dark. I have on my notes, Darkseid crunching a carrot. So 
We can circle yeah. back. <laughs> uh, Darkseid uh, picks up his grandson, Jacob, and Jacob grabs his nose and says, Nana, while Scott and Bar- Barda argue about whether Nana is Jacob's gibberish for the word nose. Darkseid can't actually give away the anti-life equation because it's knowledge. So he rips out his own eye and says, this is going to prevent me from using the anti-life equation. Uh, Scott uh, says, well, I need to give Jacob a goodbye hug. And when he's holding Jacob, Barda attacks Darkseid. Darkseid easily withstands her attack and incapacitates her. Darkseid then attacks Scott, who reveals what their actual secret plan was. He has a knife that Barda forged from the bones of Orion. And you remember the prophecy that only Darkseid's son could kill him. Scott plunges the life, uh, the knife made of Orion <laughs> uh, into Darkseid's hollow eye socket and Darkseid dies. Another new god, Metron, reveals himself and tells Scott there's another universe where Scott should be. And Scott has a vision of all the DC uh, superheroes. And then Scott eats a carrot. Issue number 12. On Earth, Scott shaves for the first time. He's, ha- he's been growing this gnarly beard, beard for all 12 issues. Uh, Barda and Scott return to New Genesis, where Barda easily defeats Kato in one-on-one in one-on-one uh, combat. Back on Earth, Barda is pregnant with a girl. Scott is having visions of the dead from the previous 12 issues. So Forager, Orion, Granny Goodness, Darkseid, Highfather, Oberon. Uh, and the series ends with Scott and Barda sitting on a couch. And Barda says, Darkseid is. And Scott says, yeah, I know, but we are too. When Barda asks what's wrong with him, Scott says, I can always escape. And they kiss. The end. It's a very cryptic ending. I really don't know what to make of that 12th issue. issue. (laughs) I mean, like you really knew what to make of all the others. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's fair. Uh... (laughs) So we mentioned a few times that we did a previous episode about Vision, which is uh, one of my favorite comic books that's been produced by the big two in as long as i can remember it's something that i think is going to be uh like an evergreen title where you pick it up and you read it and you say there's so much going on here and i think we had a really good discussion digging into a lot of that i feel like mr miracle is harder for me to engage with i still feel like there's a lot going on here but i can't get a, as firm a grasp on it as i did with the vision do you guys feel that too? i i absolutely agree as you were like leading into this i was thinking to myself I need to point out that we talked about vision, which is very good and, and pretty deep and like some hardcore, like comic book stuff. Like you can't hand that to a new comic book reader. They they need to have read comic books for at least a couple months, I think to really get what's going on with comics there. And I would say that is significantly more accessible than this. (laughs) Uh, What do you think, Todd? Agreed, agreed, agreed. (laughs) I mean, this really pushed me to the kind of limits of where I thought I could even track with it. And it really took the second reading. And then it started to unlock and I'm like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And so I, I feel like two or three readings, I might be in there. And, and I don't know if this is weird to say, it's sort of maybe like reading James Joyce. Whereas someone with an English PhD, I've always wanted to be like, yeah, James Joyce. And mostly I'm like, ah, guys, I don't really understand what's going on. (laughs) Um, But after a while and after talking about it and after kind of, you know, uh, reading maybe a little bit of criticism and then going back and then checking in on it, I go, oh, wait a minute. This is unlocking. This isn't just this isn't crazy, but there this is really something that's there. And so I tried to treat myself the way I would treat a student that came to me and said, um, Hey, Dr. Peterson, I don't get this, that, or the other thing about 
uh, what we're doing. And I just want to be like, stay with it, <laughs> you know, like keep on target, you know, and, or any of this kind of <laughs> stuff. And so, and so that's the, that talk I'm giving to myself right now, because, um, yeah, at a surface pass, it's easy to just glance right off the surface. Yeah. Um, not and not get deeply in it, but I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm like, it's starting to work on me. I'm thinking about it when I don't mean to be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for and- me, that's the sign of something that's, that's maybe deeper or, or better than regular comics. I, I, yeah. I don't know. And, and I want to get to a point where I say, maybe this is really what I, I mean when I say I want adult comics. Mm-hmm. Like I don't necessarily want heavy metal comics you know, like that great anthology, um, you know, from a long time ago, I, I think what I want for adult comics is, is literary comics. Yeah. And this, maybe uh, I, I, I 100% agree where like I read this and I was writing the summary. And, and so I only read it once. And then I was oh, to write the summary. I was flipping through the issues and I was starting to catch some things. Where like, okay, I need to go back and look through this. So like in the first issue after his suicide attempt, Scott says to Barta, your eyes are brown. They used to be blue. And she's like, no, they've always been brown. And then I noticed as I was flipping through stuff, in some issues, her eyes are blue and some they're brown. There's something there. I don't quite yes. know what yet. Yeah, so something's there. <laughs> and I think that this is – I mean, and comic books can be this way, I think, in a way that other media don't I – don't, I don't know that they don't have the capability, but it does it differently than other media where – Yes, there's a story here and you can, you know, Joseph can recite the beats of the story, but the story isn't really what's going on. Like what you're reading is not necessarily what it's really about. And I'm not like, because I think this has definitely got more to do with parenthood than it does about the war on apocalypse. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And things like that. That stands out so much more. Uh, like, and, like the war and apocalypse, I don't know what's going on at any given moment. There's no specificity to where the armies are, who's winning, who's losing. Uh, but there's so much like hard, very concrete details about parenthood that resonate as, as a parent where it's like, oh, I've experienced that very thing. I've not experienced anything like the war on apocalypse and new genesis that's going on yeah. over there and like the timeline like it just jumps ahead and it's like are they still fighting i guess they're still fighting because they talk about fighting <laughs> but know, that, that kind of stuff but that being said i was really surprised when you were reading it off just because like i said i i haven't read this again since i read it as it was coming out um when you brought up the issue where she says i'm pregnant that's like issue six mm-hmm and it, I was really surprised that it was that late. It was, you know, almost, it, or, or if it wasn't issue six, it was, you know, something deep in there. It was like halfway through the run before you got to what you feel like this is actually about. You yeah, know, for and, the first time. And I get like some of the more literary things that I'm not quite sure what to make of are like those panels where the tube glitches. You know where 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 you're mm-hmm. seeing like the the art is has been like digitally manipulated to to look like. But I bet they mean something. Oh, I just don't do. know how to figure it yeah. out. And and I I'm sure there are theories floating out there. Like, did he really die in his suicide attempt? And mm-hmm. like, and this is his afterlife. Uh, is there something with alternate dimensions going on? Uh, mm-hmm. and this is jumping between those. Uh, I'm sure those theories are all. Is Darkseid influencing him somehow? Because it seems like maybe sometimes he is. And similarly, like that black panel that just says Darkseid is, I don't know what that means and why it pops up so much. 
I don't. <laughs> and I'm saying this as a longtime comic book reader and someone who, uh, you know, does a lot of analysis of comic books. I'm not quite sure what to make of that. It doesn't mean that I think it's wrong that it's there or that it's uh, the obtuseness of its meaning is problematic to me. I just, at, through one reading, don't yet know what I'm supposed to make of that. So let me go to the weird place on that. I think I have a line, at least on what I think it means for me. Um, both both the glitch panels and the dark side is panels. Um, I think they're to position us outside of the story. Like it's pretty easy to get drawn in to the story, and the glitches I think pull us back, and uh, they're creating at least for me a sense of unreliability. Mm-hmm. Like is is this is this really the thing, or is this the representation of the thing, or is it inflected by dark side? Is it inflected by memory? Is Scott free? fibbing is, is, he, is he yeah is he stretching about the 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 matter of the narrative and then the dark side is stuff that i think is even beyond that layer of the narrative like uh it would be really interesting i think uh to have the money to like cut the binding on this and just lay <laughs> the panels out and to see if there's any rhythm to the like dark what if you stack them on top of each other or something? Yeah, or or looked at them linear, like like roll, set it out like a big scroll on a giant table, mm-hmm. um, and see if you could see a rhythm in that. Because I feel like it's kind of like a like a, a timpani drum, you know, boom, boom, boom through the whole um, belly of the narrative. But each time it happens, I jump out, and I remember it's like maybe like a, a Bertolt Brecht moved right. Like I was all about of a sudden, to say, it's Brechtian theater. Just reminding it's, it you, is, Brecht- you're watching a performance. This is, right. this is uh, something that is being created for you. Do not get immersed. It, it wants you to resist uh, getting swept along with the narrative. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it because otherwise it's too engrossing. Mm-hmm. And and I get pulled back in on the emotional level. I'm supposed to back off and think about that. It, at least that's what happened to me every time there was a glitch. I started going, what's the glitch for? And and again, I don't have answers, but I started noticing which images got a glitch mm-hmm. and which images didn't. And when there were it's, periods of it, no glitch. Isn't it, isn't it mostly images of Scott's face and typically in, in the Mr. Miracle costume? In the I mask? think it often is, but like the last panel, I remember glitches and that's Scott and Barda kissing. Uh, you know, as that as the final mm-hmm. image, you know, sitting on the couch together. So I know there are some right. exceptions to that. I think you're right that it often is a more close up shot on him that you get the glitch. I mean, granted, when I think of this comic, I think of a nine panel grid of Mr. Miracle's face, and one of them is blacked out and says Dark Side is, and one of them is glitching. Like that's what the that let's how you like summarize the visual language of this comic is the nine panel grid of of Scott's masked face. Yeah, and, and there I, are and there are some spreads where there's no glitch or one glitch in the whole mm-hmm. spread, like page ninety eight to ninety nine. There's one. There are also some where there are multiple glitches, like back to back to back, right? Like I, I think right. uh, in some of the ones where you see him like doing his performance as a escape artist on Earth, a lot of those ones are glitched over. Yeah, and so there's definitely something there, but it's hard to figure out, like what exactly it is. But I think fundamentally, um, Todd, you're right that at, at the most basic, it's really helpful to be a reminder that like, by the way, guys, this story is not the point you reading. It is more of a point than, than the narrative. Well, and also saying, Hey, 
don't get swept along. Step back and think about it. And even if we can't come up with yeah. the concise make sure answer you think. of what, make sure you think, yeah, what, what it is we're supposed to think, or what the correct interpretation of these things are, uh, that move within the narrative serves that purpose in and of itself to just prevent you from uh, uh, being something along. It forces you to be a resisting reader because you want to understand why this is going on. And I think all of us like. We have the feeling like if I re-engage with this again, I'm going to get something more and deeper, and I'm going to make connections uh, that I haven't been able to make yet. Uh, there, there's more here to be got. So one of the things I talk to students a lot about um, when they come to me with these questions about whatever we're reading, I go, assume it's not a mistake. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what they'll come like, here's this weird thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And and I've done this a lot. I teach a class in screen aesthetics, uh, you know, j- basically sort of how might we read television, um, film, et cetera, you know, because it's so fundamentally different than the rest of literature. Um, and they oftentimes they'll notice something that's odd or anomalous and think something's wrong. And I go, no, you have to go back and reframe that. You got to go trust them that, that this stuff doesn't happen in here by accident, especially not when it's repeated. So um, you may not get an answer for this right away, but assume that it's something and it's your job to figure out what that thing is. And, and I tell them too, if it's a really good artist, they're never going to tell you. Or if they tell mm-hmm. you, they're going to maybe lie about it. Because yeah, this I, is I your think, work. Um, You're supposed to be figuring this out. Yeah, so when I said at the end, like that issue 12, I said it's a very cryptic ending. Uh, I, I That ambiguity is not an accident. <laughs> they didn't want to wrap this up with a bow and say, here's uh, the key to every mystery. And I think there can be a frustration for readers that want uh, or, or maybe had the expectations set up for them that – uh, the story was going to be wrapped up. I think sometimes when, um, you know, like finales of TV shows like Lost happen and everyone's like, oh, it, it didn't do what I wanted. Not that like I had the story in my head, but like I wanted resolution. I think um, if they've been set up because of the genre that it's operating in or the way that it's being presented to them to expect that kind of wrap up, I think that that resistant reaction is valid, actually. Like, I, I understand it, even if I don't always share it. Like, I love the finale of Lost, um, and it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I think this comic does a good job the whole way through saying, you're not going to get everything wrapped up for you guys. So, I like, I, when I got to the end of the 12th issue, I'm like, oh, that didn't really explain what the, the squiggle, you know, the glitch was or the, or the dark side is panels were. But I also really wasn't expecting it to tell me (laughs) you know as as the big finale and it's such a great final panel it says the mr miracle series will not be continued its new and thrilling successor will soon be on sale look for it and but it doesn't tell you what that is (laughs) yeah right so so go read something else Um, it seems to be the message exactly but it's it but it's being said it's it's new and thrilling successor which I think is a commentary about like comics. Like even if you kill a character, they're going to come back. If you do the perfect version of this character, doesn't matter. Within you know five or ten years, the company is going to be reproducing a new version because that's what happens to this intellectual property. It gets recycled over and over. I think that's a a meta commentary about mm-hmm. uh, superhero comic books, particularly DC and Marvel superhero comic books, and the nature of storytelling that we see in in those. And certainly, I think that is a thread that some of that meta commentary is running through 
this entire series. The opening, which is the very bi- bombastic Stan Lee style, and and even well, the character of Funky Flashman was yeah, that's Stan Lee. That was Stan Lee. And when Jack Kirby did that at the Fourth World, it was sometimes a a, a very biting and harsh version of Stan Lee. This hyper exaggerated salesman mm-hmm. version of Stan Lee. This is right after he'd broken away from Marvel, and there seemed to be some animosity between the two of them. Uh, and and he created this caricature of Stanley. Uh, and now decades later, Tom King is picking up that character and, and doing it in a way that that doesn't feel as harsh as what Jack Kirby seems to have done back in the fourth world. Again, I haven't read those. I've just seen commentaries about that. Um, but I think he's using it as part of, uh, making us again, like hyper aware of the nature of the superhero comic that we're reading. We're going to have this voiceover at the beginning that is the sales pitch. And at the end, it's like teasing you of what's coming next with this very bombastic language, lots of adjectives, uh, and, and something that doesn't say this is a representation of real life. You know, in any way, you could never imagine that you're reading a representation of real life when you're reading the Mr. Miracle series. And can can we like I feel like there's something there to the funky flash character. Like that is an element that is maybe I don't know. It it's something to question about the series. Like, is he really there? Is a question I, I feel like asking a lot of the time. That's a good question because some of the things represented in the narrative are challenged as having existed at all. Yeah. Like some of it is hallucinations that, or, or the splits in reality or things like that. Right. Or and even, like, uh, I know, finale. I know the character oh. exists to them, but I don't know if he is like, is he actually babysitting or what's going on? Well, and even the, uh, I think that there must be some mind slip because Barda even says, I think, uh, it's Scott has had a conversation with Oberon like a kind of a force ghost mm-hmm. appearance. And Bart is like, you know, he, he's not around. And Scott, and it Scott. doesn't he say, I know. And then I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's, it's like, a, it's like, okay, is funky flash there for Scott? And he's not there for anyone else. I think Bart, you talks know, about him, I'm pretty sure. And talks about him watching, but does she talk to him? I, but she talks about him watching Jacob at a certain point, I okay. think, if I'm remembering right, which I mean, there, as a parent uh, and, and the kind of parent we see her to be, I don't think she's yeah. uh, talking about that if it was just this this hallucination. Uh, but uh, talking yeah. about like the things that are there and aren't, one that was really interesting to me is that uh, big double page spla- uh, splash page when Metron says there's another world and we see like the whole Justice League and all the DC superheroes. But at the same time, uh, like this is treated as though we've been reading something that isn't part of that world, but he went and hung out with the Justice League. They've referenced the Justice League several times. He's wearing like, a shirt like their with kid has their a lot of Batman stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's he's always wearing a shirt with a Wonder Woman logo or a Green Lantern or uh, uh you know, like every DC character. He's always yeah. wearing one of those T-shirts. They seem to live in the world of the DC superheroes, but then there's like this big reveal that's supposed to be there's this other universe, and uh, I don't know. Are are we just in a is pocket it, dimension? Is it supposed to be? Yeah, and like, is it supposed to be that they're spending time in a world where the DC superheroes are characters? But again, he de- or, he very explicitly hangs but, out with Blue Beetle and yeah. and uh, Booster Gold. And uh, at one point, uh, they they talk about I think for the birthday party, do we invite the Justice League to the birthday party? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, and now I'm starting to question like, is all of this happening in the same universe constantly or? Or are, are, are we like slipping like through to a new, like a lot yeah. of multiple universes? 
with with different things. And real quick, because I remember this element from um, it's the it's the conference table issue. And he goes and has that conversation with um, one of the one of the other new gods. Kato, about, or Kato, Kato, I can't remember if there's a name yeah, there or not. About um, about the artist. Leonardo and and oh, yeah. painting the curtain that was so convincing that everyone thought there was a curtain over his painting. Yeah. And I think that definitely has something to do with what's going on about like, what is the reality that we're dealing with? What are we perceiving as the level of reality? So just what, real quick, like what are we he, reading? He ends up saying, <laughs> I just want to give a recap he ends up of saying, that story. Uh, Oh yes, yeah. go ahead. Do a, that. A, a student and a master, and the student thinks they've surpassed the master, and they say, "Let's take a year and paint our best picture, and whoever paints the best picture wins." And the at the day of the competition, their their pictures are up there behind curtains, and the student reveal pulls his curtain away, and it's a picture of grapes, and everyone's like, "Well, it's grapes. This isn't that great." But then birds come and try and eat the grapes because it looks so realistic. They, you know, this is all but real the grapes and he's like i the student's like i've obviously won hey master go ahead and pull off the curtain and show your art you know it's not as good as mine and the master just says what curtain so his his painting was the curtain uh and it looks so real the student didn't even know he wasn't uh standing next to a curtain curtain curtained painting there so i just found the page which is uh which is great because when they get all done they're uh this guy and uh Scott Free are standing on the edge of that sort of great big uh, bottomless pit and they're peeing into it. <laughs> That's their bathroom. And uh Right. And so they're they're talking and he says, You remember that thing with Da Vinci? Right? That that's the story that the guy tells about uh The um, new god claims to have gone he'd had, uh, had a relationship with Da Vinci back in the day. Right. Yeah. And the painter, you know, like from the first day? And then Scott Free says, Yeah. He says, You know, I made that up. I tried to get with him, but he wasn't having me. He had a boyfriend. That part was true. And he's and Scott Free says, "What? Why?" He says, "I don't know. I guess, I guess you piss with the son of God. You've got to say something, even if it ain't true." <laughs> so I wonder if that's not really like a key to really this this whole kind of thing. Like you, you got to say something, and and that's what sort of unlocked this idea. Like how many parts of this are are not actually true. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, you know, a narrative that's like, well, we'll you know, the willing suspension of disbelief. Well, hey, I'm just into this. Let's just let this be. Of, hey, guys, this is just a story. Don't start thinking about this as anything more than just a story. So, so what if we go a little bit crazy and kind of pull back, pull back? And this is kind of my reading, which is what if, what if really what we've got here is a story about a young couple uh, having their first baby and their second. And and what we're talking about in the world of New Genesis, uh, what if it was like this guy's video game? <laughs> or his or like, comic? Or, or he's or, writing a novel or something. Right, yeah. And I mean, because that's one of the things that I do at this point. Whoa, I'm, I'm wait a second. deep in a revision of a second novel. Um, and so when I go into my room and close the door and whatever, it's like I'm in a different headspace. And then I come back and talk about it with my wife and she says this, that, and I had an idea, I talked about it at dinner and then I go back into that headspace. And so what if this is really about those kinds of um, fantasy worlds 
that we all go into, whether it's that fantasy world to go do your job or the fantasy world of the massive online, uh, you know, you're going to play Fortnite or your um, Game of Thrones and your, you know, your chat room. Yes, so you, you exactly. Have all your theories that you're exchanging. So, so this is like the time when you jump into another space and then you're on a subreddit uh, yeah. about something and I go, oh man. And if um, you've got like several of those different things going on, you know, he locks into this different thing when he's doing the, you know, when he's on, on the battlefield and he's locking into this other thing when he's talking about Funky Flash and he's locked into this other thing when he's talking about the Justice League. And he's just and working in all these different areas. And it's and it's just kind of how our brains work. Yeah. And so imagine if the armistice comes, the armistice will come. I'll give you everything you want. You just have to give me your kid. And then it's like, oh, the worlds could blend if you didn't have a kid. Mm-hmm. But it's like, so so I think it's so interesting to say, oh, okay. If there's uh, all these different worlds and the fourth world is like this other, this other headspace. Because he actually, you know, he Scott has his life uh, with Barda, and then he's got work as an escape artist. And that's different than his role as a god in which he has to, you know, balance the forces of the universe. And, and different from being a father and different from being an escape artist. Right. And and being a, a husband or a wife. And that's where I started to feel the resonance. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is giving me enough space to step back and say – I have to be multitudes in order mm-hmm. to exist or function as a as a guy in the world today. I gotta I have to go down to the university where I work and I have to do university work. Then sometimes I have to switch gears and be a parent to each of three different kids that need different things. Mm-hmm. I and need sometimes to be, you're a parent to all of them, which right? is a different And then role. I have to be a companion. And then because of uh, I, I oftentimes joke, because of some of my life choices, then I have a role in my congregation as well, where I have to kind of switch uh, and be that thing. And so what if this isn't isn't just really a, a sort of complex and wonderful narrative about the kinds of ways we have to switch roles uh, I, or, or pr- prismatically um, mm-hmm. to, be, to be an adult? Can I throw something in there? Yeah. Have you ever been in the middle of one of those roles and it feels like one of the other roles is interrupting and causing like a fuzzy glitch in your in your moment. It happens all the time. Yeah, every, because every time I go to grade, when my kids I'm, knock on the door, or I'm podcasting, and the kids or, come and, in, or even just your even if there's not like a, a physical distraction, but your brain just switches gears into this other thing, and you're like, no, I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing, and it's like that fuzzy panel. My that happened to me today. I was having a conversation with a coworker about some big meetings and big stuff going on at work. And my, my um, Apple watch um, pulsed and I looked down and my son had, uh, he's getting big into film photography and he had just got his first roles developed and he sent me a picture of me and the cat. (laughs) And so I'm in the middle of this intense conversation and I glanced down, see me and the cat. And I just was like, yep. Boom. (laughs) The, and you're, that and you're out part of sync. Of, and I'm out of sync. And that's, I, I think maybe we, this is, I feel so satisfied that we've cracked the code on the glitches. Well, I want to read it uh, again with on. this kind of reading. I want to say one more thing about this. Uh, it all opens up with this suicide of Scott Free. Yes, I knew we needed to get, and I we needed to get back to this. Any, like when you're taking on a new role such as parenthood, that is the death of some other version of yourself. 
Like it's it's mm-hmm. gone, and, yes. you, and you can't go back. Particularly Parenthood, I think. Like, wait, there's a reason that that is the one that is, uh, you know, the the role that is the most concrete in the story, and the one that we keep coming back to, and the one that interrupts his his other life mm-hmm. is is being a parent. Because I I think that is an accurate <laughs> an accurate description of particularly being a new parent, and it's um it's not that uh. You, that it's the wrong choice it's just like there is a life that i cannot lead any longer <laughs> because of the the choices that i made like as you're choosing to pursue something else you're closing doors on other other versions of yourself that could have been did we talk about something with that where like there's the life he could live or is it something that i'm it's that's what i'm pulling together from like the last issue when metron comes and says there's another life and it's that it's like that alternative that you're just that you're just talking about Joseph. Yeah, like more and so you have in this, this version, he could have been a key part of the Justice League, whereas now he's a very side version of the Justice League. And yeah, he knows them, but he's not mm-hmm. really a core mm-hmm. Justice League. And then there's there's having one kid, having two kids, having a boy, having a girl, giving the child to Dark Side, not giving the child to Dark Side. There's all this stuff going through. And I think I'm glad that you went back to the the suicide attempt and brought it together with that thought of, well, when you make decisions about what life you're going to live, there is going to be not, not sacrifice or consequences, but it means that you don't live the other life. Right. And so that is a choice to terminate one path and select another, um, so to speak. And I wonder if that is some of the point. That's that, going in there. I think absolutely, because what's happening is Scott juggling lives. Mm-hmm. And there's that whole period, you know, when they said, you know, okay, we are going to go back. We'll be generals in this war. Um, and uh, it was an event when Barda and Scott were alternating. They were taking shifts um, over in the fourth world. Mm-hmm. And it was so remarkable to me because um, my wife and I used to joke when when I was kind of uh, cranking hard on tenure. Uh, my wife was launching her career. We're both faculty members at the university. Um, we joked that we were cohabitating single parents. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and my wife and I both taught full time with a uh, a two year old, one one and a half year old, and yeah, I I remember that same feeling. And and when I was reading that, like, this is one of the closest approximations to my life. As crazy as all of this fourth world stuff that we're talking about, those pages I said that is that is the most kinship I've ever felt to a narrative, <laughs> ever. Well, and I want to say um, because that period where we just would come and go, and we would really, I, 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 there were times when a child was in the home for like two or three minutes because we were leaving and going at the same time. <laughs> Like it wasn't really long and it wasn't like long period neglect, but, and the child didn't even know because the child was watching, you know, whatever, uh, between the lions. And, and it's like, I have to go to class now. And it's like, well, I had to talk to a student and boom. And I felt, you know what? That speaks to my life with absolute clarity. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we're going a little I, long, and I, I just want to highlight that for me, the greatest part of the series, as much as I enjoyed like trying to crack this, is that weird mix of the hyper operatic world of superheroes and sci-fi and space operas with the super 
uh, grounded earth discussions of, well, what if we remodel the condo? Do we get, can we move this wall five feet? Does that give us enough space to do this other thing? And, uh, or, or the, you know, I'm on trial for my life. Did you grab a veggie tray? And we see Orion eating from the veggie tray or dark side mm-hmm. eating from this earthly veggie tray. Those are highlights for me. Like this weird mix of more mundane or grounded reality with the grand world of superheroes. Yes. I think that, I think that's kind of the key to this series. I do want to throw in one more thing about um, the kind of the previous topic we were talking with the, the alternate realities and the, the lives and the suicide attempt and everything. And when he's talking on the TV interview about why and trying to escape death is what he said. And I think that seems like if we're talking about the juggling of all these different roles as parts of the, this, these lives that he could be living, I think that kind of collects it for me where he is trying to not lose any of these roles he's trying to have all these things he's trying to to do the juggling and that's going to be costly on his stamina and and his attitude and things Mm -hmm. like that and so i i think that's why this is a great story about um being a, a male and a father in this world and it's it's not to occupy that space of like what about there being a men's movement i i don't think that's what this is at all but i think it's accurate depiction of uh a, a, the complexity of masculinity and um i think that's maybe why it resonated the most for me because so many representations of masculinity don't cut it for me i don't recognize it um and i, I just so i don't lose it uh one of those you know how you're saying like have you ever been living your life and something punched through today i walked into the house and my eight-year-old was sitting there and he said to me hi father <laughs> which if you've read this is so great because the uh there's dark side on one side but the high father is the uh is the good version of that and and i know that he hadn't been reading this comic and i know that it was just a circumstantial thing but the minute he said that the universe glitched for the you universe the universe reality came through. and i zipped right back into the comic and i said oh man this is so cool i'm gonna be doing a podcast on this tonight um, and, well, I, I do also just want to quickly touch on in, in saying that like the suicide attempt might be a metaphor for this lost other life. I don't want to say that this is trivializing suicide because I, issue 10 when Barda confronts him about his suicide attempt says a mm-hmm. lot about suicide and deals with it in a very mature uh, and thoughtful way. And uh, in a way that doesn't just say, oh, suicide's just a metaphor or a story trope that can be used in this. I don't think that's something that Tom King, Tom King is engaging in. And I don't want our, our commentary to be taken as that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very sensitive to the topic. Um, and I, I want to touch on what you were saying about the, um, just like the attitude that this has about, fatherhood and masculinity and everything like that, which is not a element of it that I think I spent a lot of time focusing on, but it is so strongly there that once you think about it, it, it kind of coalesces differently because it's about um, Scott free as a son of high father, as a son of dark side, as a father of his son. And then it also casts him into the role of being the high father being a, a god and then it gets into like the judeo-christian model of of godhood with um you know sacrifice your son right and things like that like they're dealing with 
like big con like like big f fatherhood <laughs> and and big s sonhood and i think was it metron who comes to to argue i can't remember who the name was that comes to say hey you got to come help us in the battle when you were a general you lost the least number of soldiers mm-hmm. and so again it, it it's it's not cuz he's the toughest it's cuz he's the caringest kindest Right. And I, mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting contrast that we see with um, uh, Scott Free and Big Barda. Big Barda is a better hero than Scott Free um, in terms of skill yes. level. Uh, like he loses multiple fights that she easily wins when she decides to engage. Right? Uh, and she seems less conflicted about like doing the heroic thing. All those things. Yeah. But but as you're saying, part of what makes Scott Free still a good leader is uh, that he's not just in it for the violence. You know, it's not just about throwing numbers at the enemy. Uh, Like the, the reason that he has the support of the troops instead of Orion uh, is because as as you said, like he, he loses the fewest. (laughs) Um, He seems to care about the troops and is able to direct them in a way that leads to the greatest success with the least casualty rate. I gotta, I gotta just go read this again. <laughs> uh, like I said, we are going a little long. Uh, so, any final thoughts about either Scott Free or Big Barda or this series as a whole? I want to try to figure out how to get the dark side eating a carrot panel up on my wall in my office. <laughs> it is a really fantastic. Uh, what about you, Andrew? Any final thoughts? I. I think we've, we've nailed everything down pretty well. I know we didn't talk about the characteristics of the characters. I don't think that's an indication that they're weak or, or less significant to the story or less fleshed out or anything like that. We could have gone on and, and done, you know, 10 attributes of each of the characters and things like that. They're just kind of like, they're so critically part of it, but also, as we said, the story and the characters isn't necessarily the point of this story and these characters. It's how it's being told, how it's playing with the comic book medium, some of the meta commentary, both on comic books and then also on fatherhood or parenthood uh, on interpersonal relationships of husband and wife, you know, all of that is, but again, not, not to say that they didn't tell a good story and didn't have good characters. Because they really did. Yeah, but I, but I think, like, you can imagine different versions of the story where you say, okay, there's an epic war between two worlds that is genocidal, and this is about the generals, and you get a very different story than what this one is. <laughs> like, th- that mm-hmm. war, for me, is uh, the secondary plot line, which would be the primary plot line in, in most, you know, stories that want to go action-oriented. And what is what I'm always going to be remembering about this is these moments between Scott and Barda and their son and like the tired looks that they give uh, after birth and yeah. uh, th- that delivery room. Sequence. They are just so tired and they just keep going. The delivery room sequence where like all those moments that I remember sitting in the delivery room where like I'm kind of guiltily looking mm-hmm. at my phone because it's like I've been here for 20 minutes and there's I have no role right now as as the husband and I, if I needed to do something, I would do it instantly, but can I look at my phone? Is that okay? And you see Scott doing that exact same look uh, mm-hmm. or, or that the conversation about remodeling and what they can and can't do, even as you're getting the superhero action, like those things stand out so much for me uh, and, and is a masterclass of, uh, of storytelling in, in terms of contrast um, and grounding uh, something for the readers, even as you're telling something that's, that's, 
you know, unrelatable uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the great grand space war that's happening. And I have never cared about Scott Free or Big Barda, and I do now. So that is a, a nice magic trick that's been pulled by uh, Tom King and Mitch Jarrett. <laughs> like, I knew they existed Amen. as characters, uh, but, but I could not have told you much about them. And now I really do care about them and their children. Uh, and I don't know if DC's going to pretend this story never happened or if we're going to get future stories with them and their children or or what the plans are uh, at all. I could see DC just saying, well, that was just a side story. We're not, you know, here, here's your 12 issue run as a, as a collected edition. And that's all you're going to get with Mr. Miracle. But I could also see them, you know, in a year you find out that, hey, uh, Big Barda is joining the Justice League. And one of the, there's a running subplot about her, like calling home and talking to Scott about their kids. I could see that happening, too. Mm-hmm. That'd be so amazing. All right. Well, thank you, Todd, for joining us. Uh, you mentioned that you were working on revising your second novel. Do you want to uh, pitch your first novel that is currently available for our listeners to to purchase if they're interested? Uh, well, don't mind if I do, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a, a, a mosaic novel, I guess is what we started calling it. Um, a, a series of uh, interconnected stories um, that uh, uh, told one larger story across uh, a whole arc. Uh, that revealed itself uh, incrementally as you read across it. And it's called, uh, we need, it needs to look like we tried. Um, it was just a kind of a attempt to, uh, to analyze, uh, what happens when plan A, uh, falls apart and you have to kind of move to plan B or C or D or beyond that sometimes for some of these characters. And, um, it's been out for just a little over a year now. Um, and it's been really pretty wonderful. Um, it's with Counterpoint Press, and you can buy it where all fine uh, books are sold. But uh, you'd be better off if you went to a local bookseller. Oh, that's a great pitch there at the end. And again, that was called <laughs> It Needs to Look Like We Tried, which is one of my favorite book titles ever. So props on that. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 41, when we had Todd Peterson on to talk about Batman in the Court of Owls storyline, or episode number 151, when we talked about The Vision uh, comic book series. And you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at protagonistpod or at Jadorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. Todd Peterson, do you have a Twitter uh, handle? It's just at Todd Peterson, and Peterson is S-E-N. All right. Or, uh, listeners, you can go uh, jump onto our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast to talk about this episode or any previous episode. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. discover the mr miracle series well if you go back to the um episode we did on the vision i was so blown away hold on a second todd um it's a little more we're getting an echo that wasn't there just a few minutes so weird